from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a priority for businesses who want to retain staff and prevent burnout, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and psychologically healthy workplaces in Canada. So welcome to Psych Health and Safety in Canada. Today, my guest is Emily Clark. I've had the privilege of working with Emily for the past few months, and I asked her on this podcast to give us the um, perspective of someone who is newly trained in psych health and safety um, to really see how she views what we've been working on for a decade or more and to get a fresh perspective, a fresh idea. So welcome, Emily. Hi, Marianne. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for today. Oh, that's great. That's great. So Em, let's start with a little bit of your background and how you ended up in this field where you are now. Of course, yeah. So I started um, my secondary education in kinesiology, actually, um, at the University of Guelph Humber. So I studied kinesiology as well as fitness and health promotion uh, for four years. I completed that, uh, took a year off and studied to become a registered kinesiologist. Um, Once I was graduated or had passed that exam and was a registered kinesiologist, um, I was trying to find jobs in the field and I found that the clinical setting was uh, not the best setting for me. Um, It's very high paced, very fast, um, many clients in, lots of um, expectations, very high pressure. Uh, So I wanted to shift to a different um, avenue that I thought maybe uh, reflected me a little bit better. And that's when I uh, actually found the Workplace Wellness and Health Promotion Program at Centennial College. And as I was reading through the class descriptions and uh, the opportunity to do a work placement, it sounded much more like something that fit me personally, who I am. Um, I really enjoyed the idea of uh, following the health promotion avenue a little bit more um, and really um, helping others in a different way, a way that is still beneficial, but not necessarily physical. So I think mm-hmm. that's now you went, uh, well, you still are a dance teacher, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people might not know what a kinesiologist does. Can you explain that? Of course. Yeah. So um, there's actually many different avenues you can go down with the kinesiology in school. We looked at um, fitness as a means of improving somebody's health in several different ways. So from general fitness with general population clients to working with um, special population clients, people with chronic uh, illnesses or people recovering from injury, um, all the way up to high performance athletes. So doing high performance training with um, athletes in that aspect. But kinesiology is really um, the school aspect of it is the study of human movement. And I think the program itself is applying human movement to health and wellness. And then, uh, yeah, when you get into those various uh, different fields, you're either working with the general population, recovering from injuries, or improving fitness and health overall, working with special populations, and uh, how fitness can help improve their conditions, or training high-performance athletes. And even then, uh, Emily, when you're working with people, what did you see was the connection between the mind and the body? Of course. Um, I think that the connection is, it's 
hard to be physically healthy if you're not mentally healthy. Um, and that spans across the entire spectrum of general population to high performance athletes. Uh, becoming, if you're not already physically active, becoming physically active is very challenging. We talk a lot about goal setting and, and uh, behavior change and the uh, mentality that comes with that, being able to put yourself in a vulnerable position of starting something new, um, as well as um, learning from positive and negative experiences that you have while being physically active, um, the barriers that come with that, even small barriers could stop someone in their track. So, you know, developing that resilience and being able to continue, uh, learn from what went wrong or didn't work for you and going beyond that, uh, bouncing back, if you will. Uh, when you get into the uh, high performance athletes, there's a lot of pressure. Um, there's a lot of performance anxiety uh, associated with the big leagues, if you will, <laughs> when you're on a competitive stage. Um, I even see that in the dancers that I work with as we do compete. Um, it's a lot of pressure. You train all year and you get to do whatever it is that you do for dance you perform maybe four times and that's it. And you got to put all of that right out there for everybody. So I think on the scale there it varies, but uh, you're looking at resilience, I think is a big one as well as, you know, being able to have the skills to set yourself up for success. Um, <clears throat> we've also, through the placement, talked a lot about um, self-talk and how negative self-talk can uh, really impact you. And I find that that's a, that's a big one as well with regards to fitness um, or high performance uh, competitive athletes that uh, that the way the negative self-talk can really stop you in your tracks from being able to progress and improve. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me because I feel like whether we're talking about kinesiology or being a dance teacher or sales or, um, you know, house cleaning, in almost every single time we can connect how the mind reacts and and what it does. And so for me, the um, field of psych health and safety is the field of the human experience. And so it's pretty broad. But what I'd love to know, because I know at uh, Centennial College, you learn a lot about workplace wellness um, very broadly, but you also have um, specific training on psychological health and safety. So I'm curious about what you learned and how you see that fitting into wellness. Sure. Yeah. So we um, did have an organizational health and wellness class. And in that class, we spoke specifically about um, psychological health and safety. And uh, we did review the 13 psychosocial factors and how they apply to the workplace. Um, and I I find what I took away from that class, and um, I actually wrote my final paper on it, but it's that idea of humanizing the workplace, understanding that um, everybody in the organization is a human and we all have needs and um, sometimes we require accommodations or, or things like that, but it's that over-encompassing idea of treating everybody the way they wish to be treated in order to achieve success for the organization. And I think that applies to wellness by um, understanding that people's 
needs and wants and providing them with support and security um, in the, the workplace is really a, giving them a better quality of life and ensuring that um, their wellness is supported in the workplace. So what do you say to the employer who says, I'm not trying to support a better quality of life. I give them a paycheck. I want them to do their job. Yes. <laughs> um, so what I think there is that uh, the best thing you can say is be prepared to constantly be hiring new people. Because I think that um, psychological health and safety is something that people are talking about now. It's uh, in the media, it's in the news, it's on social media. Um, people are talking about it, so they're very aware of how that plays into the workplace, as well as which organizations are taking that into consideration. So I feel like if you're not ready to bring that aspect into your organizational culture and what you have to offer at your business, people are going to catch on to that and they're going to be ready to move to a new organization that will take that into consideration. So I call it um, old school thinking, which is the thinking that I was raised in, that you go to work, you do your job, you keep your head down, uh, you don't ask questions, you don't um, cause waves. And you're right that when people are unhappy, they either check out on the job, like sabotage it, or they move on. Um, in your uh, opinion, how do you see new school thinking versus old school thinking? I see new school thinking as uh, more of a collaborative process. It's less leader employee and more let's work together to create sex success for the um, organization and i feel that um, it's kind of a collaborative revolution we want to work together to improve uh, workplace culture and how everyone experiences work um, in order to bring the vision of the organization to life and be successful for the clients or whoever you are uh, serving in your position. And I feel that um, new school thinking is about open door, open door policy, come and talk to leaders, talk to coworkers, talk to management about not just work or work concerns or work issues, but life issues as well. What's, you know, what's bugging you building that human connection and really being vulnerable with your employees and, and, uh, helping people manage their workloads and shifting priorities to help uh, relieve any stressors. Obviously, we can't be 100% accommodating at all times, but having that open relationship and that possibility to go and speak with your managers or your team leaders or whoever, I think really allows a dynamic that um, builds wellness and allows employees to be successful and, and feel supported and healthy and well at the workplace. So for the person who, you know, started work in a factory, um, worked their way up to being a foreman or a boss and says, wait a minute, I don't want to talk to people about their personal issues. I don't want to be touchy feely. What's your advice to them? Um, I think my advice would be to start small. It doesn't need to be a huge personal open hour long conversation every time somebody comes to speak with you, but it can start with a five minute um, conversation at the beginning of a meeting, just saying, 
even keeping it work-related to start, how's your workload? How does everybody feel after this week? Um, did you feel your coworkers were supporting you? Did you feel I was supporting you with your work? It doesn't need to start 100% into somebody's personal life. It could even start with your life at work and how you feel at work um, to get away from that touchy-feely sort of uh, descriptor there. But what it does is it creates dialogue and it opens up to your employees that you are there to support them, even if it starts with just work ideas. Um, and I find that five minutes people can start, they say that, but every five minute meeting can turn into a 30 minute conversation. Um, and that really just kind of breaks down those walls between the foreman and the employees or the boss and the employees, um, just to kind of get people going. What would you say is the expectation, not that you can speak for your entire generation, but the expectation of your friends, your cohort, in terms of um, a, a job, especially an entry level job, what, what is your expectation of how you're being treated? Um, I think that what's important is that if you're part of a team, you feel like a contributing member of that team, even if you are in a lower position, um, to be heard, to be seen, uh, to be asked how we uh, feel or if we have an idea or a suggestion, even if it's not taken or uh, used, it's good to still have a voice. Um, being seen as that entry level or that you know small member of the team, you're not up there in those higher positions. It's nice when someone in a higher position turns to you and says, well, what do you think? Um, or, you know, how are you feeling today? Um, how was your workload this week? I also think that we don't need to have our hands held, but it is nice to have a short little conversation or explanation of what's expected um, or how to do something or to know that if we are struggling or confused or concerned that we can reach out to those who are above us and uh, seek help and to not feel like, you know, you sit there and you're like, oh no, is this, is this a silly question? Should I ask this? I'm not sure. And you have that internal fight with yourself about reaching out. It's good to know that that door is open and you can reach out and ask for help if you need it. And then once we you know, have a good sense of what's going on, we're able to flourish and, and move forward with the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. And what would you say um, to those who say, but I don't want your opinion. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. That that idea that you have ideas, but we've done it this way all these years. And, you know, who are you to tell me? Yes, um, I would say that there's definitely a time and a place and to know your audience and that uh, you shouldn't stop giving opinions. Uh, maybe the person you need to give your opinions or suggestions or ideas to isn't that person. Speak to other people in the group. Um, just continue to try and get your, uh, your voice heard and, and understood. And, and again, if that's not something that's occurring in your uh, work environment, maybe it's about approaching that leader and saying, I understand uh, and value your opinion and that you've done this a certain way for so long. I was wondering if we could have a conversation to discuss a few of my ideas um, because I think it is important that every employee is heard, even if it's not a yes, that's great, we're gonna switch right away to what you say. It's important to hear what your team is thinking and, and uh, 
value their opinions and whether or not you take it, say thank you for your opinion and, you know, carry on from there. And obviously, if you're not happy with that, there's ways to go about, um, you know, whether you don't necessarily need to leave your job, but <laughs> talking with the leaders and finding out, you know, the best time or place or the best fit for your suggestions and, and when you can share your opinion in order to be heard in your organization. Yeah, now that's great advice to somebody who's maybe more timid and they're not sure how to bring it up or when to bring it up. And do you think, do you know, if that approach of being able to respectfully offer a different opinion is being taught in school? Is that a matter of course? Speaking from experience with the current program that I'm in, um, yes, I would say yes, um, but I can't speak for every every program. I know that in uh, the kinesiology program, it was um, share your thought, but you better have the facts to back it up and you better know what's going on. It was a very, you know, science-based, very rigorous. You got to know, you know, if you're saying this is going to happen, it better not hurt somebody. So that was a very different approach. Um, I think when it comes to just the general sharing of knowledge or ideas or feedback um, in the in the workplace that uh, in school, they teach you to speak up and to have a voice and know that your voice matters and, and should be heard. Um, but what I'm unsure of what's being taught is the ability to sit and listen and to respect everybody's opinions and ideas and understand that everybody's ideas and opinions and thoughts have value and can be of value to your team. So even if you're someone like me, I can say I'm very by the book, we do it this way, go, 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 this is what you do, here's how we get to it. Um, And when you hear an idea that um, doesn't fit in line with what your brain is thinking, at first you're like, no, thank you. I'm going to stick to my way. But even through this placement, I've learned that it's so much more beneficial as a team to have that type of person, but to have the creative different thinkers as well, the people with the ideas that are out of the box and are different and not in the status quo and how those two minds can mesh and really collaborate to create fabulous work and work that is great for your organization. So it's important to have the skill of, yes, speaking up for yourself and sharing your ideas, but also sitting back and listening and really thinking about others' ideas as well and seeing the value in what they have to share and add to your uh, team. That's beautiful. That's, uh, and, and I guess I haven't thought about whether we teach that inclusive thinking or not in school. It's more, I've always been concerned about, are we teaching people to be able to speak up and to do it respectfully? But that uh, concept of, can we hear an opinion different than ours um, is equally important. And I really hope that um, what employers who listen to you um, take away is that we can't rely on whether or not every single person has learned this, but we have to make it part of our team building and to do it that way. Um, can you think back to an example in your career, any job at all, where you experience something that you would now describe because you have the language as psychologically unsafe? Yes. 
Yes, I can. Um, I have worked in, well, mostly dance, um, and then as well as a bartender. So uh, that's always a different environment. I feel that that industry is, again, very fast-paced. Um, you're dealing with customer um, kind of relations and communications and how that all plays out. Um, I did work uh, a few summers as a bartender, and uh, there were several situations where um, a customer or client would be upset and they would be attacking us as we were the people that they would see. Uh, they wouldn't see management. Management would be elsewhere. We were kind of that front-facing, um, and there was a, a big blow-up, a big situation occurred. Uh, the management didn't come down to deal with it, but then it was turned back on us. We were attacked. It was our fault. We didn't do something right. All the blame was put on us. Uh, it did end up in a big blowout as well. Uh, left work very upset, came back the next day, and uh, management approached to apologize. And the apology was a, I'm sorry, but, followed by, again, a reiteration of everything we had done incorrect. So in that situation, you're feeling pretty negative. You feel uh, as if you have done something wrong, even though you're the 20 year old standing behind the bar and not the upper management who should be managing these situations. Um, and whether it was our fault or not, shouldn't be the focus of the issue or the apology. People make mistakes and that's okay. And it's okay to admit when you make a mistake and management or whoever is in charge should be able to understand that employees make mistakes and that yes, you should acknowledge that a mistake was made but then it should be a here's next steps on how to avoid that mistake in the future or let's have a conversation about how this situation could have um, gone better or how we can fix it for the future um, and again with the uh, management yelling or or getting upset or emotional over a situation and apologizing the next day I think that is the right step to um, if you do raise your voice or get into an altercation to be able to apologize the next day and for employees to understand that again management they're humans as well and people have emotions and sometimes people uh those emotions build and they they get out of hand um and to acknowledge and accept apologies on both hands there but it shouldn't be followed by a but <laughs> in my opinion when it comes to apologies it sh it can be followed by here's how we can fix it in the future but i don't think uh reiterating what went wrong is the best thing to follow an apology <laughs> mm -hmm. no it's it's amazing i um was uh much older than you when i learned about apologizing as in I'm sorry, you know, that, that 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 happened, but, you know, I'm really busy or I was doing this or I have, and then understanding that if I actually apologized, I'm sorry, I made you wait. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm sorry I wasn't there to have your back and, and making it about truly acknowledging the harm done rather than making excuses for what we did. And uh, it's a simple thing, but it changes an apology from something that can feel un psychologically unsafe to something that feels sincere. 
yeah. since you're being open and vulnerable and it, you're building trust with your employees and, and they feel that they can speak to you about mistakes or when things go wrong, if it doesn't get to that management level, um, when it happens, being able to approach whoever your leader is and say, I, I made this mistake, I apologize. Um, here's what I think the next steps are to, to resolve it or for next time, can you um, have an open conversation with me about whether or not you agree or if you think there's something I can do differently in the future to avoid scenarios like that occurring again. But you have to feel safe to speak up to do that. The benefit to one of the benefits to the employer is that if you feel safe to speak up about a mistake you made, you're not going to try to hide it or bury it until it becomes um, a bigger issue. So that's a, that's a really uh, good thing. And I think, um, again, just what you described is old school. Let's blame them. Let's, you know, make them feel bad because if they feel shame, they won't do it again. How did you feel about working there after that incident? Um, I put in my letter of resignation the next day. Oh, you did, did you? Yeah. And that that's... The camel that, or the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, that was uh, the big blow up that kind of concluded a very rough summer for me. So, yep, next day, walked in, handed in my letter, and and uh, that was the end of working there. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, I think at one point, not that long ago, employers thought, I'll just get someone else. But there's two problems with that. One is there's not as many someone else's available right now. And uh, the cost to rehire is quite expensive. And so if you have really significant turnover, that's very expensive for you. It's not just like replacing somebody and, uh, you know, continue on. So now let's flip this, M, and let's talk about um, a work experience that you felt was very psychologically healthy and safe, that an experience where you think, yeah, that's what I'll do when I'm in that position. Sure. Um, I think that uh, working as a dance teacher, uh, I've worked I've worked at several studios and and I find that um, it's a very different atmosphere than than corporate life. Um, we work in the evenings, we work on weekends, we go to dance competitions where you're working all weekend long. Um, you're working with kids and that's also uh, has its rewards and its challenges. And I feel that um, where I find the most psychologically safe and healthy environment is working collaboratively as a team of teachers. We work um, in the studio constantly in our competition. We are led by our owners or our directors. Um, and it's knowing that your team has your back. You know, you're sick, we have to find coverage because we can't cancel classes they've been paid for. So somebody's gotta come in and cover them. It's knowing that you can reach out and say, I can't make it in tonight. Would you be able to cover my class? And having people say yes and supporting you and being there for you and knowing that you will happily return that favor whenever they need it. Um, knowing that if you can't make it to a special event, a competition or um, a show, whatever it be, that 
other faculty members will be there to help you out and they know your kids and they know you and um, they're there to support you and your dancers throughout that experience. So I find having that uh, sense of support and that team and knowing that when you're not at your best, you have somebody to fall back on and help you out and get you to that position, um, as well as providing uh, moral support uh, at competition. I know that I am there even when my kids aren't there dancing and I'm there to support the other kids and the other teachers and and cheer them on and make sure that everybody has that uh, sense of team and that sense of family. I find um, that's often a comment we get from our parents is that uh, the kids feel like that they're part of a family, not a team. And I think the faculty feels the same way, that it's important that um, we're there for each other and no matter what, we'll support each other through whatever we experience. And I think that is very psychologically safe and healthy mentally, knowing that, um, again, it's that open communication, that trust and uh, respect and treating each other properly and, and well, um, which can be tricky in a competitive sport environment. So it's, it's really nice to find that and have that. And I've been experiencing that. I'm now going on my 10th year teaching. So it's been a, a real joy to have that as a, as a job. Yeah, because my suspicion is not every dance studio is like that. No. 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 <laughs> but, it, you know, your, your description of I've got your back, you've got my back, that's uh, really what psychological health and safety is about right? It is the, the sort of main point of it. And so because you have my back and I have your back, we're all going to do our best work. And we're going to um, do that best work, even when one of us is struggling. And so the employer will always win. Yeah. 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 So Emily, if you were um, working with a, a employer right now, and they said, you know, um, yeah, I don't know anything about this psych health and safety stuff. Um, how would you describe to them what it is, psych health and safety? I think uh, I always bring it back to that idea I said earlier about humanizing the workplace. And it's this idea of working together as an organization to make sure that everybody feels safe and supported in their work and thinking of it not as an expensive adventure um, trying to make a massive change within the organization all new processes all new policies all new training um, even though it could build to that level once you get it fully incorporated into your organization um, but picturing it as small little changes to start with that can help build and support everybody in the organization. Like I said, starting with those five minute check-ins or starting with um, leaders telling their teams their door is open, um, talking about setting boundaries, no emails before eight, no emails after six, um, little things that don't have to cost money or um, require training or huge massive projects um, but the little things and let them start and start to work and see how it changes your employees and the dynamic that they have um, and i i think 
really humanizing the workplace is the best way to explain it. It's about treating everybody equally, about making sure that all employees, whether they're entry level or CEOs of the organization, everybody has this understanding that we're all human. We all have needs. We all want to feel safe and supported in our work. Um, we all want to feel healthy at work. We want to not feel like work is this awful thing that I have to go do because I have bills to pay. That's not what life is about. And that's not how work should be seen. We should see work as something joyful that we enjoy doing. And we should feel good going to work and not feel afraid or burned out or burdened with what's going on at work. So um, although it seems like this very big, ominous task that organizations need to tackle i feel like it can start very small and it should start very small and let it unfold and build within your organization and build into their culture before you go about taking massive projects uh on that can be expensive yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I think too many times they want to do, you know, a big assessment and report analysis and policy development. And it's like, yeah, but we could start making positive change right now, doing something really small instead of all of this background work. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting watching how different employers start it. Emily, you have um, a varied background, a wide um, breadth of knowledge. What do you see yourself as doing in the future? Give me a picture of your ideal job. I think for me, my ideal job would be creating... Well, I do love what I do in my current internship. So that I think has inspired me a lot, but I, I do love that aspect of um, looking at what's available currently in terms of resources or programs or training, uh, whether it be from something that's bought by many organizations or for an organization in general, finding the gaps, what can be improved, what's not there, what doesn't exist, looking at the research, finding what's current best practices, um, even updating older material to current best practices, and creating those resources and activities or programs or training modules that can help make organizations become psychologically healthy and safety or and safe, <laughs> my apologies, um, and really um, getting my hands dirty, getting in there, doing the research, creating those activities and those resources and uh, working on a team to see those unfold within an organization or multiple organizations. Yeah, to be to be able to see the consequences of the work is such a gift, right? That uh, lots of us do work, but we don't see what difference it makes. And yeah. that's a piece of information that we give to employers is make sure every employee is aware of how what they do whether it's making a widget or it's just doing a report or crunching numbers, make sure they understand how what they do uh, contributes to the greater good of the organization and how the organization contributes to the greater good of the community because that changes everything, right? When we understand that. Uh, it helps create purpose and, and keep employees engaged when they know that you're not just here crunching numbers or researching or typing. You are here working towards this mission or vision or whatever the company um, sees. I feel like for me personally, that's when I go, 
you're right. I'm working towards this. This is my goal and it's something I'm passionate about. So that's how I keep myself engaged and working even on those tricky days. And what would you say to someone who's in a job um, that they don't enjoy, um, that they're, it's just the only job that was available to them at the time, but there's not something else available? How would you give them advice to remain psychologically healthy and safe, even in that position? Um, I would say, now this is just my brain, uh, my first thought is always right to the research, but um, looking up free resources online, um, seeing what's available and what's out there, doing a bit of research into psychological health and safety, um, and then depending on your level of confidence or um, how you, the trust you have with your team, um, approaching leaders or team members and saying, you know, I found this research or I found these resources and activities that um, support psychological health and safety. Is there any way we can start incorporating these into um, our work life um, that we have here or into the work environment? Um, trying to build personal relationships or work personal relationships with the people that you uh, work with in your organization, um, reaching out to your coworkers and team members to see how they are, um, to see how you can support them or you know, opening up that dialogue uh, in hopes that they return the favor and ask how they can support you and help make work life um, a bit easier or better for you. Um, yeah, and I think it's about trying what you can finding the research, finding the resources, um, putting your thoughts and ideas out there and seeing if they're well received. Who knows? They might say, you're right. I love these. These are great. Let's implement them. Or um, your coworker might say, I love that we have these chats. Let's check in weekly and see how we're doing um, and how we can support each other in our work and just start small and see if you can create a better uh, or healthier environment for yourself at work um, while you are still at this job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so because if you can do that, then you can interview at other jobs in a good frame of mind, right? Rather than interview for other jobs with that bitterness or anger or whatever frustration. So it's it's better for you, even if the end goal is to move on. Yeah. Um, and Emily, I'm wondering if you can share a bit about what you're working on right now, who it's for, and how you hope it can help. Of course, yeah. So I'm currently working uh, with Workplace Strategies for Mental Health. And uh, my partner and I, we have been uh, working on self-regulation in the moment uh, resources or activities for individuals who are at work who are experiencing mild to moderate symptoms of depression or anxiety. Um, and I feel like uh, what we've come up with is a great uh, bundle of activities. Um, there are going to be audio clips uh, for the most part, uh, something that uh, you can plug in your ears and they either work on uh, building on existing or developing uh, skills, I guess we could call them, to help you um, navigate through uh, difficult times or difficult thoughts, um, or I think on the other side of it is uh, being able to pull yourself out of a difficult thought or experience or moment, being able to put something uh, 
in your ears to listen to something that can pull you out of that difficult time, bring you to a feeling that's a bit more positive or, or a bit more calm. And I feel like uh, hopefully in the end, once they're complete, these resources will be incredibly uh, helpful or useful to uh, employees or employers in the workplace um, to be able to provide uh, either those uh, moments of relief, giving your brain a little bit of a break or uh, helping you build skills that can help you self-regulate while you're in the workplace, because that can be a very difficult um, place to navigate those uh, symptoms or feelings that you experience with depression or anxiety. So why did you choose audio clips as opposed to another way of doing it? Um, I think the main driver behind that was the thought of trying to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. If you're experiencing mild to moderate symptoms of anxiety or depression, the last thing you're going to want to do is sit there and read through a massive landing page of information. It's not going to sink in. You're not going to want to sit there and do it. Um, and also, you're not going to lean towards researching when you're in that mind frame either you're not going to think to type in the website and go and and find that page and read through it so i think it was more uh, the idea of having a landing page with a description about you know this is why this works and here's the research behind it so that when an individual is not experiencing those symptoms or they're in a neutral or positive headspace they go and do that research or look into those activities and then they have the audio clip there so that when they need it or they're experiencing those symptoms, it's available. It's something you can click play, put in and it's happening and you don't need to uh, read or do any kind of extra work um, to to find that resource or activity. It's it's right there for you, ready to go. Um, so I think it was more about finding the best way to deliver it for the individuals that we were trying to target with these resources. That's great. Now, because you're an overachiever who gets really excited about the possibility of helping people, you also um, chose some other activities that aren't audio files and added them um, to what you're offering. Can you share a bit about those? Of course. Yeah. So um, there were two that were uh, one was a sort of a written one uh, journaling aspect, I guess. You could think about it and the other is uh, more of a, a physical one, something you can do in the moment. So um, the physical one is more along the lines of uh, getting out, taking control of of your day and how you feel and, and going out and doing something positive. Um, we more about acts of kindness. So going out and, you know, doing some acts of kindness, uh, trying to spread some positivity throughout your day and then coming back and reflecting on those moments. Um, to try and, and think about um, how it impacted how you felt or how others felt um, throughout the day. So really trying to bring uh, some of that positivity into your day and um, being in control of it um, and really being in charge of how you would like to feel that day. And the other is uh, more of a reflection moment, um, thinking about how to kind of help others first and then taking those skills to help others and applying them to how you can help yourself so putting yourself in someone else's shoes thinking about how we would help them because often people are 
ready to go, ready to help others before they're ready to help themselves, um, and then flipping it back onto you and thinking about applying those same steps, setting yourself up for success um, and knowing who to go to and what you can do when you start to have um, those symptoms or negative thoughts of uh, with depression or anxiety, um, which I thought was a really great way to think about it. <laughs> um, Dr. David Burns calls it the double standard technique. The idea that if I make a mistake, I'm going to say, you idiot, how could you be so stupid? As if you made a mistake, I might say, hey, we can fix this. Don't worry about it. It's going to be good. And just it's amazing the differences that we're not aware of in the way we treat ourselves and the way we treat others. So uh, learning how to do that can uh, really help change our self-talk. Now, you also have one um, about gratitude. And, uh, uh, and uh, why, why is gratitude good for people who are depressed or anxious? Like if I'm fearful or feeling negative, you want me to think happy thoughts? I think that um, from the research that I was, I was doing and looking at the interventions and the activities with the gratitude list, the thought is to, again, pull, try and pull yourself out of what you're experiencing, taking a moment to pause and sit and think about um, things in your day that you're grateful for, and they don't need to be huge. They can be super little. Um, you know, I'm grateful for getting up today and coming to this podcast. I'm grateful for um, getting up today and, and uh, brushing my hair, putting on some makeup, picking out a great outfit. Um, it can be super simple and little, and it's that idea of writing something down, seeing it physically on a piece of paper, or imagining it in your head, and um, seeing the positive things that have occurred in your day, the things that you um, are grateful for and you can hold close to you and trying to um, bring that positivity that is sometimes uh, uh, hard to see when you're experiencing symptoms of depression. It's difficult to, to find those moments. Um, so I think it's, it's just a matter of uh, trying to, to pull it out, to see that it is there, that it is um, occurring in your life and uh, that it doesn't need to be these big, huge, grand ideas. Yeah, I'm grateful for winning the lottery or for having a mansion or <laughs> it doesn't need to be big like that. It's it's the little things and, and realizing that those little things can build and accumulate and help to create um, a more positive mood. I was listening to um, a Brene Brown podcast and she was with a Dr. Jaw and she was saying our focus is like a flashlight that if you focus on things like what you're grateful for, that's where your attention goes, but that's also then where your energy goes. But we can also turn that flashlight onto everything that's wrong in the world. And uh, it's uh, what was interesting about that conversation with me is I've understood that we can't multitask, that we actually are doing quick task switching. But what I didn't understand is that I also change my focus between my internal thoughts and what's external. So I might be talking to you here on Zoom, but I may be thinking about something else and not giving you my full attention and therefore not being in the moment. 
They also said that our, um, many people say they have memory problems, but that that's not it. It's that we weren't paying attention. Our flashlight wasn't on it when it happened. That's why we don't remember it because we never did pay attention to it. We never made that memory. So there's so much that um, can be done in terms of our well-being by that focus on gratitude, focus on what's right. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of um, what these resources are helping with is um, making um, a better choice for you. So instead of choosing to focus on your negative self-talk or um, negative experiences that are currently happening, you're, you're instead choosing to acknowledge it, but then to let it pass and, or to switch it and focus on something that's more positive, like the flashlight saying, instead of shining my light over here on this negative thought I'm having, I'm going to switch it over here to this positive thought. I'm going to acknowledge that negative thought because, um, as you've said many times, Marianne, throughout placement, there is wisdom and learning in those thoughts. They, they do come from um, a place that is trying to be constructive but is doing so in the wrong way. Um, and we want to switch it over here to something that is either positive or is uh, more objective and isn't going to cause us harm. Yeah, I, I always feel like if I have a negative emotion or a negative thought, I'll pay attention to it. I'll say, okay, what, what's it trying to tell me? What can I learn? But when I'm stuck in it and unable to focus on anything else, then it's time to move and I can revisit it when I'm in the right mindset to try to learn from it rather than resist it, deny it, fight against it. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Um, In your program, what are some of the most interesting things that you've learned that you didn't intuitively know before you started? Um, I think, uh, well, I can say, Um, 100% going into the program that I did have some knowledge in um, health promotion um, in the sense of community health promotion. Um, But I I knew nothing about psychological health and safety when I started. Um, So all of that for me, um, I think that's what I really gravitated towards, um, really resonated with. Uh, So all of that was new for me and I found it incredibly interesting. Um, And just how that psychological health and safety applied to every concept that we learned following that. Um, It plays into change management. It plays into uh, burnout and short-term and long-term disability leaves. It plays into occupational health and safety. Um, So just seeing how this, what was one subject we covered in class, applied to every other aspect of that course and could be seen in my other courses. We talked about psychological health and safety in my data analytics class. Um, it came up in, in program development and, uh, you know, doing so in a, in a safe way, choosing the best time of the year, keeping employees in mind and being employee centered in your program development and uh, your implementation. Uh, so for me, I think it was uh, this, this concept of psychological health and safety, learning about that and how it applies to a- every aspect of working in the corporate office or, or, you know, working in any organization really, and how it applies to every aspect of the job. Yeah. I always, I always say 
that if you think about a time when you couldn't wait to get to work, when you were really excited, when you were doing something that you knew mattered and you knew that you were contributing, that was psychological health and safety. But then you think about those times where you dreaded going into work, where, you know, the days were so long and that's the lack of psychological health and safety. It's uh, it's not something I think that employers need to do to be nice. It is something that employers need to do for organizational excellence. Like it's it's in their best interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so we're coming up to the end of our time, believe it or not. And I'm just wondering if you were talking to, um, first, I'll ask you, if you're talking to your own cohort about how they can contribute to psychological health and safety. And then I'll ask you about speaking to employers about how they can support the psychological health and safety of your cohort. So let's go first with you're talking to your peers and you're saying, here's how you do this for yourself. Um, For sure. I think there's definitely um, two ways that we can do it for ourselves. Um, The first, obviously, is to advocate for psychological health and safety if it's lacking in your um, workplace or your organization. Um, Again, you don't need to jump right up to the CEO. It can start small with whatever team you're working on. Um, And again, just with uh, sharing ideas, opening up lines of communication, um, asking people how they are, checking in with your uh, employees and trying to establish that um, idea of hopefully if you're checking with them, they'll return the favor and check in with you. looking into, like I said, resources and and sharing them with your team or your organization and saying, you know, I found these and I think they could really benefit um, us as a team, uh, whether it's building resilience or it's uh, teamwork or collaboration uh, skills, communication skills, uh, learning how to listen and uh, how to share ideas and speak up and support your team members valuing their ideas. Um, I also think that if you're someone in my cohort up here and you're in a position of power or you're up there, you're a leader of a team uh, to do the research as well and look into it and see how you can implement it for your team um, and support your team and and, uh, value their ideas and uh, help them manage their workload, treat them with respect and uh, be inclusive and diverse in in your team as well and make sure that you're um, pulling from every resource that you can, every uh, using every employee to their fullest potential and allowing them to achieve their fullest potential. Um, so yeah. you're saying that every person has um, a responsibility for psych health and safety, that it's not just the employer? That's what I feel. I feel that um, for me, psych health and safety is about em- every person in the organization feeling supported and safe in the workplace. And that employees can't expect psychological health and safety without returning it to their employers or their management. Everybody in the organization needs to work towards psychological and health, psychologically health and safe workplace as a whole. Um, in management and CEOs and everybody in those other positions, they're still people too, and they deserve to have needs and, and be heard and, and their uh, thoughts and ideas should be valued just as much as the employees who are beneath them, their ideas should be shared 
and heard and they should be treated with respect. I feel that it should be an organization wide concept, not just the employees deserve this. I think it should be shared between everyone. That's great. That's great. Um, and any advice that you'd have for employers who are saying we want to attract um, new talent and what do they need to do to do that? Um, I think uh, it really comes down to your organization's culture. Um, and it's funny that I say that because when I went into my workplace wellness and health promotion program, I, again, had very little knowledge about corporate life or um, how that really all unfolded or worked. And, and organizational culture was a new thing to me. It, it wasn't something that I imagined um, people talked about much. I thought, you know, old school me was thinking, you know, you go to work, you do your job and you go home and that's what it is. Um, but I think that organizational culture actually plays a, a very large role in um, attracting and retaining employees. Uh, people will apply for a position with their thoughts and ideas of what they would like to do with their life in mind. Um, they know that they want to work in this field, they want to try and achieve this, they would like to work towards this end goal. That's already established in an employee's mind when they are applying for a position. I think attracting and retaining the employees comes in with the organizational culture. How do you treat your people? Um, how do they um, get feedback? How are they rewarded? Is there recognition? Um, is it a collaborative team? Are they able to reach out and get help? Um, so I think it's about really describing your organizational culture in a way that um, describing and building, ensuring that your organizational <laughs> culture um, is established in a way that is psychologically healthy and, and safe um, and inclusive and diverse. And that, um, again, establishing a feeling that every employee is valued and every employee is important um, and really demonstrating that, uh, whether it be through your job postings on your website, um, through your social media. Our generation is all over social media. We. Uh, see everything on social media. So, um, you know, demonstrating how you bring that culture to life within your employees. And I think uh, that will help attract and retain employees uh, again, because we know what we're looking for. So if you're able to show us those aspects, um, I think you would be better able to attract those types of employees. Mm -hmm. I was talking to an organization who pays minimum wage and they said, you know, it's all we can do. We can't do anything else about it. But if you treat each of those people um, well and make them feel good about the work that they're doing, yes, they're going to leave because they're going to get a job with better pay, but they now become ambassadors. They now become people who say, yeah, it was a great experience. You know, if you're starting out, if you want, you know, or you're retiring and you want something to do, this is a good place to work. So we have social media and then we got the old fashioned word of mouth, but uh, when they do it the right way, that's, that's how they get it across. So Emily, I'd like to thank you very much for sharing all of that with us today. And uh, to say that if it's okay to say that you're on LinkedIn because somebody's going to snap you up and they're going to be very happy. They did so working with you has been such a delight and uh, the, the resources that you have created 
will be available for free to the public um, in the fall at Workplace Strategies for mentalhealth.com. And thank you for all of that too. Thank you very much, Marianne. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care now. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in North America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com. 